electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. Stand by, Andrew, straight up there. CNBC's Essential Morning Show. Which camera? Oh, hello. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. You guys hearing this? Yep. Today on Squawk Pod, another day at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland, another set of big interviews for the pod. Today's highlight, Joe, Becky, and Andrew with the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon. Jamie, it's great to see you today. Happy to be here. Dimon's take on our government. You need government policy. Government policy, good government, is the only thing that will globally will solve this problem. Our economy. The markets right now are fine. I mean, they're in a Goldilocks place. It's kind of one of the great experiments of all time, and we still don't know what the ultimate outcome is. And much more. Plus, the best of our conversations with the CEOs of Comcast, Goldman Sachs, and Chevron, and with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, all in this episode. All right, last day in Davos. Hip, hip, hooray! I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. It's Thursday, January 23rd. Squawk Pod begins right now. Let's rock and roll. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. This week, while Joe, Becky, and Andrew have been hosting our TV show from Davos, I've been here in New Jersey listening through their interviews to pick the best, most interesting bits for you, our podcast listeners. There were a lot of conversations to choose from. We had about 45 guests. And those are just the ones they did for broadcast, so we're not counting all of the panels, dinners, and breakfasts, or the snowy travels in between. But the hard work was worth it. With each interview, they delivered news relevant way beyond that alpine ski town. Some of our favorite bites from today in Davos, U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. And the president has asked us to start working on what we call tax 2.0. There'll be tax cuts for the middle class, and we'll be also looking at other incentives to stimulate economic growth. The CEO of Chevron, Michael Wirth. Oil markets have really changed over the last decade or so. We've moved from a period of time where there was a belief we were approaching peak oil. And now we're in an era of abundance. And it's really the U.S. and it's the unconventional horizontal drilling. So you really have a market now that is less prone to these volatile excursions. Does that mean we never see $100 again? We we may not see it for a long time. Getting some of the most attention on Wall Street today, comments from Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon on adding diversity to his board and all boards this year and beyond. Starting on July 1st in the U.S. and Europe, we're not going to take a company public unless there's at least one diverse board candidate with a really? focus on women. And we're going to move toward 2021 requesting two. And we realize that this is a small step, but it's a step in a direction of saying, you know what, we think this is right. That's a big move. And that's well, a breaking piece of news. Is here. that what you were talking about last night when you said you would tell us one thing we didn't know? Well, actually, you said to me, will you tell us one thing we didn't know? And I said, OK, I'll tell you something that you don't know. At a forum sometimes criticized for its lack of actionable items, Solomon mapped out concrete steps for CEOs around the world. 
Also, unrelated but fun fact, did you know the Goldman CEO moonlights as DJ D-Soul in New York City? You can hear his beats on the electronic music scene or on SoundCloud. And finally, the only segment of the week not in Switzerland, an interview with Comcast CEO Brian Roberts. CNBC's parent company exceeded expectations in its fourth quarter report. Joe, Becky, and Andrew asked Roberts about that beat and the company's plans for Peacock. I think we've given ourselves a long runway to scale up, take back some of the content that's on other platforms, make some original content, engage with consumers. But as we talked about, Peacock will be very different. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, the man that reportedly considered running for president, has some thoughts on the way our government is run and on the candidates who are hoping for the presidency this November. I like a lot of the moderates. I'm not a socialist. I mean, capitalism is the greatest thing that ever happened to mankind. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. If you've been listening to the pod this week, you know that most of the world's business and political leaders attending Davos have been pretty positive about the American economy. Those celebrating include, of course, the second sitting U.S. president to ever attend the conference. We are now by far the biggest economy in the world. Andrew reflected on this and on President Trump's reception at the forum as we wrapped up the week. This group, which often hates Trump for his style, yep. loves Trump for his economy. Another attendee feeling good about the economy, for the most part, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO and chairman Jamie Dimon, who actually wrote a piece on capitalism and this moment in American history for Time Magazine's Davos 2020 issue. Next, you'll hear him elaborate on those thoughts and many others with Joe, Becky, and Andrew on our set in the Swiss Alps, literally in the Alps. They're outside on a rooftop in Switzerland. Here's Becky kicking off the conversation with a reference to that U.S. market rally that has the president and many others feeling optimistic. One of the stocks that has helped fuel that rally has been J.P. Morgan. I know you guys are just coming off your most profitable year ever. Um, you talked an awful lot about the, the strength of the consumer, what you're seeing in the United States. What's happening in the beginning part of 2020 after such a successful well, 2019? Welcome, everybody. Welcome, uh, viewers. So uh, the economy is doing fine. You know, if you look at and 2020 just began, but the consumer, people remember, is, is strong. Seventy percent of the GDP is the consumer. Their balance sheet's in great shape. Uh, housing's in short supply. Their confidence is way up. Their wages are up. The jobs are up. Millions have come back to work. There are probably millions more who are still going to come back to work. Things are working. The, on the uh, corporate side, you, know, you did have a reduction in confidence uh, and CapEx, mostly, in my view, related to trade. But that may have leveled off at this point because now you have some positive tra- trade news with uh, USMCA and the China trade deal. Yeah, Joe actually asked the president about that. Do you expect to see a return of CapEx? It sounds like you do expect to see a rise in capital expenditures this year. Uh, I, I think it's very possible. Remember, a lot of companies, they do CapEx when they need to. Right. Receivables go up, inventory goes up. They build that plant when there's demand for their product. So 
so you've already seen more capex on the consumer side. You may very well see it more on the manufacturing side. And global growth is 3.3 percent. It's not terrible. Uh, so um, yeah, you can see it. You can see continued growth. Part of the reason that you had such strong revenue last year, in part, was because of what happened with trading revenue. It, it rebounded uh, pretty sharply in 2019. How are the markets feeling to you right now? How do things look? They're, they, they're fine. I mean, I, that trade is actually not that big a part of it. We were up across the board, and we look at more things like number of customers, satisfaction, number of accounts, market shares, which is what we try to drive all the time. But. Uh, but the markets right now are fine. I mean, they're in a they're Goldilocks place. I was going to say, fine, right. it sounds like it's almost underselling it when you look at new records that are being set every day. Yeah. Do you have any trepidation about anything you see here? The you only think? thing I have trepidation about is, is negative interest rates, QE, uh, and the diversion between stock prices and bond prices and yields and stuff like that. Uh, it's kind of one of the great experiments of all time, and we still don't know what the ultimate outcome is. Do you, are, you, are you in favor, though, of, of the way Powell has approached this? Yeah. And do you think that he is responsible in large part for this? Do you think it's fiscal policy or monetary policy that's, that's created this Goldilocks period? I think it's a little bit of both, but, but Goldilocks has two sides to it. So, uh, but I also think that we have to have coordinated fiscal monetary policy and regulatory policy. You see China do that. In the United States, you don't see it so much. You know, industrial, regulatory, fiscal, if you want to kind of grow faster and not cause some of the problems that could be caused by rapidly rising rates or something like that, you're going to need a Wait, both, so and you're going to need it globally. That sounds like you don't think the Federal Reserve should operate independently from no. the White House and the president. No, they could be completely independent. That doesn't mean they can't be coordinated. So that if they feel that if, if governments do X, they will be very comfortable doing Y. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that's not lack of independence. That's, you both independently said that's a good course for the country. Let's go do it. But who's supposed to but if you go to, to if you go to China, they do it all the time. No, uh, and, obviously, and but China also tells companies their, what to do. Yeah, but they can manage their economy much better. And, you know, we, we failed. Our, you know, we failed to do that. We need to have more coordinated policy. Uh, who, who kind of runs the ship in that situation, though? Does, is Congress supposed to listen to the Fed as, as, in terms of what to do? The Fed's supposed to listen to Congress? How does the White House play into all of that? Because it sounds like you're right. I, I can absolutely see how we could better manage our economy economy doing that, but it does sound a little counter to how we've operated to this I, point. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's true. I think in the, if you read history books about the Fed and the government, usually through the administration, they've sat down and had coordinated policy to accomplish the goals of the country. They did it to get like out of the Great Depression. They did it to get out of World War II. They did it to multiple Those times. Those were in times of crisis. But also, even arguably yeah. after the crisis, even yeah. in 2008, they didn't do it. I mean, yes, they, they, they had a stimulus plan, but clearly it was, I think, in retrospect, people don't think it was big enough. There were lots of things that Ben Bernanke was screaming and hollering and saying, please change. You were screaming. Yeah. Everyone was saying, yeah. and, 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 and Bernanke would say that he lowered interest rates in large part because he couldn't get Congress to move. I think it's very hard for central banks to forever make up for bad policy elsewhere. And, and that, that, that puts them in a trap. And we're a little bit in that trap today yeah. with rates that's so low uh, around the world. You think that's a bigger problem in the United States, or you think because I, of Europe, much, much bigger places Europe. where it's negative interest rates, that's where they've kind of gotten themselves into that, right? Yes. I mean, do, do you know anyone who's actually bought a negative interest rate bond? No, that's what President Trump said. Was that in your interview with him? Where he said, yeah, because the, the, buy, the buyers are central banks, and certain and banks, insurance companies, insurance companies that have to, yeah. or, or index massive, uh, mutual funds or passive funds. I would never buy a negative rate bond. Why would you? Not unless I was forced. Hold my money. But, th- but and and in history, whenever you see something like that, it doesn't necessarily end well. I, I, I know we've been talking about this for a long time. What, what do you think the potential end looks like? When do you think it comes? Is there any way of knowing any of these things? Or is there, are there any signs to say we're getting closer to a point where this actually does play out? I don't know. What would you watch for? 
the, the, biggest, the biggest surprise would be inflation, if you have any kind of inflation in the United States. And that right now, people think central banks around the world can do whatever they want. They can't. Right. They will have to be reactors as opposed to just actors if you see adverse consequences going a certain way. So, and they're, they're, look, they're intelligent looking at all the facts to try to figure out what to do, but that would be the big negative do surprise. Do you see bubbles? Only in sovereign debt. <laughs> sovereign debt's where you see the bubble. Yep. You don't see the bubble. I mean, even we were talking about, we had Uber on, a lot of these private companies. Is that, is that a bubble? Is that a... It's not a bubble because th- those are, in, in total, they're not that big. And yeah, some are overpriced. We, but we, we've always had overpriced companies in life, and, and stock prices are, are, are at a high, but those prices can be justified if you have a growing economy. Hey, we've, that, we've, we've, we've had 11 years of growth. Australia has had 28. If yeah. I try to really be you know, half full and, and optimistic, it's that, true, here we are at these, these rates that seem like they're not normalized and they don't seem appropriate. It's beeping is why I took it out. They don't seem appropriate for where unemployment is right now, the, the rates where we are. But if inflation really is low because of technology and innovation, why not, in an expansion, leave rates low, let corporate earnings catch up with where stock prices are? Maybe this isn't, maybe these stock prices aren't just following uh, accommodative Fed and central banks up. Maybe no. it's more than that. Maybe it's yeah. justified. Maybe it's not just the, cheap money. The other reason I think rates are low is because growth has been so slow. I mean, yeah. I pointed this to you all before. Over the last t- 11 years, we had like 23% growth. It should have been 40 plus. Okay, had you four, which would have been normal. And people act like it's just because, well, it just was slow. No, it wasn't. It was our own bad infrastructure policy, work skills policy, litigation, regulation, taxation, some of which got fixed. I can go on and on, but what we did to ourselves is slow down growth. Slow growth means you have less need for capital, lower rates, lower growth, lower wages. You know, we, we need a growth strategy, which is why you say fiscal is not... It's not just spend more money. Right. Do the things that create more mm-hmm. growth and then acknowledge that we can help but people But what do you do behind. in a country that is clearly politically so polarized that virtually nothing gets I, done, I, I right? Don't know. I mean, that's look, the that, fundamental that's, question. Well, they, they got, they've gotten some things done recently. You know, they did do a budget deal. They got USMCA done. They got the China trade deal done. They got tax reform done. They've got a lot of regulatory reform done. But look, if it were up to me, I'd make Congress uh, compromise. You know, any way you can. I think it's I think it's absurd in a democracy that your starting point is you won't compromise. That is what a democracy is. That we don't completely agree, and then we find a way. Okay, well, I'll do this for you, and you do this for me. Now we agree. You, and, just, you just listed a, a number of accomplishments by the administration. One of the things we've been talking about for the past two days is just how uh, the Davos community, in large part, has been dare I say surprised. Mm-hmm. Two years later, three years later now, yeah. um, because when he first came into office, there was such trepidation. There was such anxiety and worry uh, that the economy wasn't, wasn't going to go up, it was going to go down. Right. Um, what do you think pe- everybody got wrong? They all read wrong? your piece. <laughs> your piece in time that all... says, unless we change capitalism, we might lose it forever. That's the headline they yeah. wrote. No. Well, they the, the, headline, oh. the headline is always not the accurate thing. So uh, what, what, did we get, what, what did we get wrong? Yeah. That good policy matters. Good government matters. We don't build infrastructure. We ha- it takes us 10 years to get the permits to build a bridge. Half the kids in industry schools don't graduate. Litigation costs 1% more in our country than all other countries. Healthcare is 19% of GDP. The, our competitive countries are 9%. I go on and on. Immigration. If we had an immigration bill, it would be 0.2% a year. A year of more growth. And the, so we haven't done these things. That's why. I don't think it's... Tech- China or trade or technology. I think it's the bad policy that's been effectuated in the United States. You've, and you've seen similar things in Europe, by the way. And, you know, fortunately, you have Macron trying to change it. 
You need labor flexibility. You need innovation. Right. You need positive capital. You need all these things to, to have a vibrant economy, which is good for everybody. As a CEO. And, you, and, and the, the politicians should focus on that right. in addition to focusing on who's left behind because you have more wealth to take care of everybody if you have a better you, growing economy. You long said you're, you're, you were barely a Democrat. I think you said that here many, many years ago. You yeah. look at this, uh, this election. Is there a Democrat not, you like? Yeah, I, 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 like, I like a lot of the moderates. I'm not a socialist. I think capitalism is the greatest thing that ever happened to mankind. I think people who haven't read the history books about socialism really should. I think we've got to educate our younger kids. Freedom and free enterprise are inextricably linked. They are not different. I mean, you can't tell people where you can work or how you're going to work. Or where you're going to... Free enterprise was the pursuit of happiness. And, you know, once you have governments taking control of businesses, it ends up in corruption in Venezuela and... And it, and it arose over time because companies get used for political purposes, not to give you great products and services. Right. Does that mean companies are perfect? No. If it's Trump, but, Trump, or, and, and, Trump and, and Bernie that, or Trump not, and Elizabeth Warren, that what does do you not, do? That does not mean we can't acknowledge that some people are left behind. I've already mentioned inner city school kids. I think wages need to go up to the lower end. I'd be in favor of a lot of the business roundtables in favor of increasing their income tax credit. Get more money into the hands of people who, are, who to give them more of a living wage. I'd be in favor of universal health care if it's properly done. I'd be in favor of, but the other thing is, properly done. That's a big caveat. You could design these things badly or well, and we've just gotten really bad at designing them well. Uh, Jamie, uh, you just listed a, a laundry list of things that you think government should be doing. I think you've gotten a, a little bit impatient. Government's already waiting doing a lot of it. But waiting, it for them, waiting for them to yeah. fix it and do it better, you've gotten impatient. And as a CEO, you've kind of taken matters into your own hand. I'm thinking of Haven, the, yeah. the health care initiative that you at J.P. Morgan, along with Berkshire Hathaway and Amazon, have been working on. Do you have any updates there? Any, anything you can tell us about I what's really, happening? I really don't because it's still nascent and we're still we're, you know, just doing some test experiments and big data. But I think the business roundtable, which I'm not the chairman anymore, mm-hmm. is attacking these issues head on, work skills, like how you can get into cities and get kids more trained for jobs, either out of high school or out of uh, community college or certified training, infrastructure, they've got programs for infrastructure, immigration, if you went to the BRT site, these things need to get done and they'll be much better for America. The BRT support raising the minimum wage, mm-hmm. the BRC supports expanding the earned income tax credit, both of which would get wages to the lower paid, and then giving, the, giving them opportunity, like through schools and education. And those things work. They're known to work in any country that's ever done them properly. They work. And you have a more equitable society. You've got to match the skills. You've got to match skills with where the job You've got to match skills. And we have a whole bunch of more stuff coming out and things like that. And then the 3.5% unemployment, you match the skills, and then you get organic wage growth, which we're already starting yeah. to see. It's, it's much higher than it was for the past I think the, the bottom quintile, the bottom 10%, it's up, it's up 8% for two years in a row or something. Right. You are seeing what we would typically would see in a recovery. It just took a long time. You don't that's see, because it was a very slow recovery. What you don't see with crappy policies that lock the Fed in at zero. And, and it exacerbates, well, it, the income inequality, and that's what we saw prior to this. Yeah. There's lots of reasons for that. Uh, Becky had mentioned this piece that you just wrote in, in Time magazine, mm-hmm. and we wanted to ask you about it. It, it. it refers specifically to what seems like you poll young people about the, world, the, the, the word capitalism, and they may be on the socialist side of things. I don't think they understand. Honestly, I don't think people understand what socialism is. Socialism is when the government controls companies. There is no example where the government controls companies, they do it well, and they don't start to use it for votes. Mm. satisfying people. They don't even want competition because if we're two government companies, you know, why have competition? Why do I, they do it for jobs and votes. They have bad allocation of capital. 
Most state-owned enterprises don't do a particularly good job. You take a look around the world, and they become corrupt over time. Do you that does not that, mean that capitalism is perfect. Do you it doesn't that, mean that every public company is perfect. No, they're flaws. Do you think that no, Bernie it, Sanders or Elizabeth Warren are socialists in the construct that you talked about it, or in the construct of this idea of a democratic socialist, which is something that may feel more European in some ways? It, it, I don't want to talk about any particular people. But if, gov- if you're talking about governments controlling corporations, that's socialism. You can do it in a small way or you can do it in a big way. The small way is to put a commissar on your board. Remember the old Russian commissars? You know, that's all. Oh, they're just going to sit in the room you know, the, the, or do it through regulatory or stuff like that. The other way is that they actually own the company. And, you know, that's where if you look at all these other countries, they start to take over the oil companies and, and the right. steel companies and the utility companies. And, and the, the banks. Market, and the <laughs> banks. And then the banks start making loans. Not to a good company, not because they're probably allocating capital to its highest and best use, but to keep that factory open, the bridge to nowhere, to make sure the mayor doesn't lose jobs in his town. And once you do that, you will have an eroding society. And having said all that, that doesn't mean that when I listen to people talk about a society, that, that things need to be fixed. They do need to be fixed. Inner city schools, infrastructure, right. education, health care. We could fix all of those what do you, you make in of, a capitalist society. What did you make of Larry Fink's letter last week? You know, I, I read it, and actually we've done a compare side by side. I think it's fine. I mean, the cli- you guys, everywhere you go, climate, climate, climate. Climate is a real issue. I think most people want to be part of the solution. You know, we are green. We're going to be 100% green ourselves this year. We're doing $200 billion of green financing, probably going to be increased sometime this year. We only do responsible financing to come. We don't do mountaintop removal. We don't do dirty coal mines. We're not doing new coal power plants. But you need a transition. At the end of the day, what the public has to know is you can yell and scream all you want at private enterprise. You need government policy. Government policy, good government is the only thing that will globally will solve this problem. And at the end of the day, you need a carbon tax. And there's a great thing called the carbon tax, the carbon dividend, where it doesn't get sent to Washington. It gets sent back to the people. Uh, and then you just start buying things and doing things that make more sense. You know, get a small car or get a, you know, windows that block it, you know, the blackout. So the then does it make sense for companies like Microsoft to announce their own plans around trying to be carbon negative uh, or trying to run internal uh, expensing around carbon? I think it makes sense for people to show their intent and to want to do a better job and to say it's important. Is that real? Is that virtue it's, signaling? It's, Is it marketing? It's, it's, it's not going to solve the global problem. Okay, you've got two countries which are growing the pollution dramatically. I'm not against them, but India and China. America's already coming down 20 percent over the last 15 years or something. You, you will not solve the problem without real government policy. So I, I appreciate all the people who say stop doing this and stop doing that. And all that happens is, you know, if, if, the, if you stop financing this dirty coal plant, someone else is going to come and finance it and make a lot more money than you. Because <laughs> the world needs the energy. What you need is policy, R&D government a carbon tax. The citizens of the world have to take a vote at that level, understand it's going to have some sacrifice and pain. So you, you would advocate for a carbon tax, Absolutely. just to be 100% clear? Absolutely. With the carbon dividend. With the dividend. That, that, means, paid back that means you all carbon pay... Carbon dioxide. The, the, the CO2. This, this means you all pay based on some base... You, of the, you mean the sooty, black, smoky stuff? Yeah. Or, yeah. No, that's, that's, it's, it's an odorless, colorless gas called yes. carbon dioxide. Yes. It's trace level. But, but it, it could be... It could be what about clean water? What about uh, particulate pollution? What about chemical waste? What about uh, what we've we done should, with strip we, mining? 
So all those things are okay too. How about clean water? No, for, no, we're, for, no. We do, we're, well, most of those things are being cleaned up. So no, not really. We're we're a little bit focused on all of this gobbledygook that you were just yeah. telling me about. Uh, I don't know carbon zero. I would look at carbon a different way. Joe. Carbon dioxide. I would look at carbon dioxide. Uh. There, there is a risk that something is going terribly wrong here. We can handle that risk today and rather painlessly if we do it right. We need to, That's what we we should need to do. decide what the problem is, whether it's, it's causing slight warming of eight-tenths of a degree Celsius or whether it's causing every single adverse weather event that's been occurring no, I, on I, its own I, for I, four billion I, I, years. I understand that. I'm, more snow, less snow. More I, drought, less drought. More I, flooding, less flooding. I'm not, Earthquakes. Forget, forget all that. Well, that's what they equate it, it, it to it, now. I, that, that's, that's so people can get noised about it. But if we have a CO2 problem in the air, which is hurting the, United, hurting the world, and most of the scientists say that. My view is as a risk mitigant, we should say if there's a chance it's bad, we should do something well, about it Not if it costs now. $30 trillion. You can do it cost-free. That's what I'm trying to tell you about carbon tax. That you pay, you know, you all pay carbon. It goes into a bank. You get it back. Oh, I understand. And then, okay. I understand. Okay. But, I mean, there is a certain amount of carbon that's going to, carbon dioxide, it's going to be released for years. And whether you balance it out and, and do, you know, your carbon offsets and feel better about your, you know, your G650, whatever you came over in, fine. But... Uh, you know. Can I just tie it back to where we started this conversation? You, ris- you mentioned risk mitigation. That's what you do very well. When you look out there, what are the big risk factors since we just had a phase one trade deal signed with uh, China and since we kind of know where Brexit is headed at this point, what are the things you're kind of watching? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, cyber is a big one. Okay? I mean, you look at our systems, vulnerability of cyber, and that could be banks or water or grids or uh, you name it, I'd put up there. I'm not going to talk about geopolitics because that's kind of always noise. That can always cause something that we don't fully understand today. Um, I, I, I put the QE as one that, you know, just, it just is in the back of my mind that's such an abnormal situation. It's been going on for a long time. We don't completely understand why or the cause of the effects. And we may not know for another 10 years in this particular one. Um, and then good policy. I mean, I, I get frustrated that we don't have better policy around the world, and I applaud the politicians who are strong enough to get up and fight for good policy, okay. which doesn't always sound like it's good for the citizens, but it is. You know, and so, and like President Macron, I mean, I, I think he's fighting the fight to get France growing better. Jamie, I want to thank you very much for your time. It's always a pleasure seeing you, and we love this interview here in Davos, so thank you. You're very thank welcome. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod. I've got to pack and get out of here. I've got a car picking me out. Joe, Becky, Andrew, and Katie Kramer unpack that extended interview with Jamie Dimon. Back in a moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. 
Welcome back to Squawk Pod. It's the Swiss Alps. It's chilly, mostly. It's windy, it's beautiful, and it is very busy. It is always a marathon. Earlier this week, Joe had a sit-down interview with President Donald Trump, which meant a 21-hour workday for some of us. But every day they were there, Joe, Becky, Andrew, and Katie Kramer stayed on set outside after the TV broadcast to record some special content just for you, our podcast listeners. Right now I'm on the roof of the Congress Center in Davos, Switzerland, which is the home of all of the media tents, and we are out in the elements. So rain, snow, sunshiny blue skies, we're here for all of it. When the team sat down for the next conversation you'll hear, it was actually sunny, really sunny. Andrew and Becky whipped out their shades for the occasion. We have documentation on Twitter. All right, guys, we talked to Jamie Dimon for an extended interview, the CEO and chairman of J.P. Morgan Chase. Andrew, what did you think about his sort of take on the economy? I thought he was bullish. I didn't think he was. Did you think he had no I thought precaution? he was hesitant. I thought he was hesitant. He said, we're doing fine. We're doing what fine. But we're hitting new records every day on the market. And it, that doesn't sound well, like a just fine economy unless we, he sees something we else. We can always on. count on Jamie to, to very rationally and reasonably say that there are things that need to be fixed about the current economic system. And you know the headline writer right. is going to say Jamie Dimon thinks capitalism is broken. And then that causes him to go the other way. And he can make the most spirited defense of capitalism of anyone I've ever heard. But he didn't want to answer the question when we asked him about Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. No, no, no. He would, have, he would have answered. You, you, he, he talked about something else because he does get on a roll. He and, said he didn't want to name names. He did he not want to name. Him. He said it. If you ran a company the size of J.P. Moore, I don't think you want to be telling people who you're voting for. Yeah. Just by definition. Well, you don't, you don't, don't want to alienate any of your customers. But I, I do think on the capitalism socialism thing, yeah. there is this sort of sense of what is socialism that he's sort of but trying to raise. Then you didn't an- listen to his answer because he basically oh, I did. said it. He basically he's said democratic slope socialism is what he really like said. being a little bit pregnant. There's no such thing as a little yep. socialism <laughs> uh, that's, that might work. <laughs> That's what I heard. He said the definition of socialism that. is if you have the government owning the means, the of, means production. of production. It's and, right. And, and that is pure on socialism. He, he said eventually that right. that is corrupt because you have people, the government, uh, elected officials who are using that power to buy votes and maintain their power. I and give that's you, how it gets corrupt. I'll give right. you 10 to 1 on Bernie versus Trump on who he votes okay, for. I have you don't a, bet on anything. I have a different, <laughs> I have a different question for <laughs> you, though. Draft kings. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't give 10 to 1 odds. So he writes this piece. I don't think he liked the headline of his own piece. He said he didn't Time like it. He wrote, he wrote a piece in Time About yeah. capitalism. Wait, where's the headline? And yet, I'm not sure. You know, the, Here it is. Talk about virtue signaling. Jamie Dimon, unless we change capitalism, we might lose it forever. Off right. camera when he sat down, he said, I don't like the headline. I didn't but, write it. But most of the conversation is actually the opposite of that in many ways. You didn't find what that? Mean? What do you mean? Meaning, I, you know, most of the conversation he was having with us wasn't really that he felt the capitalism was broken. Well, thought, In fact, well, he we, made the no, opposite right. argument. No, that's, that's what, what I mean. Joe was yeah. saying, too. He right. yeah. said it was the greatest thing to ever happen to mankind. Bingo. And so, what, so, so then, you know, so then what do you make of, what do you make of the piece? We're, I think that editors put what they, what, what magazine was it for? Time. Enough said. Um, <laughs> here's, the, here's the other thing. Um, were you here when I gave that fact that Druckenmiller... Okay. No, he, that was a Which very think you were gone. Yeah. For every one billionaire created, yeah. 250,000 people were lifted out of poverty. Really? In the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. What's the source for that, or how does he figure out those numbers? If you look at how many people in China that have come from a certain level of income, what $1,500 up to where 10000 is, you, you take the 
whatever you want to use is the, the poverty you, level. You posed that to David Rubenstein, and he immediately agreed and said his own numbers kind of back that so up. So we can too. put up with He's a couple of, of greedy yeah. billionaires if we lift 250,000 people out of abject poverty. That's the show for today. On our rundown tomorrow, the anchors might be on their way home from Switzerland. It's a good Davos this year. It was. But here on the podcast, there is so much more Davos content still to be had, including some things that didn't make air. If you listen to this podcast, you should listen to the end because you'll get to hear it. There's our tease. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Orkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.